This is Peter Webb speaking, and today is December 10, 2018, and it's my privilege to be uh, here at the home of Hazel Corey on Main Street, and the number is five. number five Main Street. Um, Hazel, what was your maiden name? Taylor. And tell me about uh, where you grew up. I grew up in Milford. I was born on 4 Park Street, Milford, to Marion and Harold Taylor. And we lived there till I was six, and then we moved out onto the Mason Road. And my parents lived there even after I went to college. Mason Road in uh, Milford. Milford, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, did you have brothers and sisters? I had a brother, older, eight years older. What was his name? Roy. Um, where'd you go to college? I went to Keene State. What did you wind up studying? Elementary education. And wh when did you graduate from Keene State? I had <laughs> time remember. It was either in 54 or 55. Well, I think it was in 54. Let me ask you an easier question. What was your birth date? 3-17-32. After you graduated from Keene State, what did you wind up doing? I came here to Brookline to teach uh, second grade. What building did you teach in? Well, it's where um, uh, the Jensen boy lives now. Okay. Could we turn that down a little bit, that background? Oh, Sorry. I can shut that off. That's just my scanner. What is that pickup? Uh, radio. I mean, our fire department. Okay. Let me see. Oh, there. oh perfect. Thank you. It just keeps me company. I know what's going on then. Sure, I don't blame it. Erwin spent a lot of time, I'm sure you did too, in the fire department. Yes, the fire department was his life, really. Um, so you came to teach second grade, and so that was at the Milford Street School, which is presently occupied by one of the Jensen's. I think it's Eric Jensen. Eric. And his wife, Mary, I think. The next door neighbor was uh, Ethel Homoleski. When you say next door, looking at the building left or right? Uh, le right. Okay, downhill. Yeah, okay. she was always sitting out on her porch, and if I, uh, there was no telephone in the building. So if I needed any help with anything, I just sent one of the students down, and she would take care of it for me. Is this the um, center chimney cape? It's yellow now. And because, uh, well, you, I'm sorry, what was her first name again? Ethel. Ethel. Ethel who was she married to? Um, I can't really remember his name. I know he, he would go out and gather a lot of laurel and make wreaths for making wreaths in the fall. And that's how they really lived. Okay. And, but uh, Ethel would kind of keep an eye out and when you needed something, she'd help you? Yep. And if I did something wrong, she... <laughs> <laughs> would let other people know. Uh, I mean, what do you mean? Did she ever say you were being hard on the kids, or what, what did she oh, criticize? No. I, uh, well, for a while there, I used to bring him down to the other school to get the bus, the second grade, the second, um, the ones that went on the second bus. And uh, I think she thought I should stay at the main school, and so I did after that. Uh, what grades did you have? I, I had the sec second grade the first year, and then I had the second grade and some of the third graders for a while. 
How many years were you at the Milford Street School? Uh, I was there three and a half years. Tell us about the inside of the school. What was the, that place like? Well, there was just two rooms, and the bathrooms are down in the basement, plus a furnace that heated the um, uh, Austin's. Uh, Eva and Austin and her husband uh, used to tend to the furnace. And they would come and put coal in, and then you'd be hotter than, and, and you'd be cold. And there was a big grate in the front of the room where the heat came up. It wasn't a very comfortable school, but it worked all right. Both classes in the same room? Um, the first year I went there, the first grade was in the first room, and, the, and my grade second was in the next one. And then, then the following year, six students had... There wasn't room for them in the third, fourth grade room. They had to come back, and I had to teach them the third grade lessons. So they came back from Daniel's Academy? Yes. Yeah. Oh, they were. They, they thought they were being demoted, <laughs> and they were very upset. But we worked it out. They, Can you think of the name again of the people who tended the furnace? Um, Eva and uh, Austin. And... Um, her husband, but I can't remember his name. When you say Eva and Austin, was it Eva Austin? Yeah, it was oh, Eva, Eva Austin, Austin and her husband. And her husband. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you uh, have any particular memories of incidents at school or kids at school? Because you must have gotten to know all the the kids in town. Well, I had a I um, Saronin boy, and he had a beautiful voice. And I had no singing voice, and so after the music teacher had been there, I would go and sort of pound on the piano, and he would teach me how to sing the songs that she had left. He had a beautiful voice. Peter Saronin. wonder whatever happened to Peter. I don't know whatever no. happened to him. They lived on Bond Street. As you go down Bond Street, it's right after the Bent's house was where the Saronins lived. On the right? Yes. Okay. Heading to toward uh, the route, route thirteen. Yeah. Any other students who were challenges or interesting or? Well, uh, I had a group of boys, uh, more boys than girls, one year, and they were very hard to teach. And now one of them is going with a girl here in Brookline, and he's as nice as can be. But oh, he was so I couldn't seem to get through to him. I think it was because his father went to work before he got home from school and worked nights and was sleeping when he got up to go to school. And he just sort of t took that out on the school system. Understood. Would you like to share the name or rather not? No, I'll just leave him unsaid. Fair enough. Uh, what did the kids do at recess? Well, uh, they just, some of them brought trucks to play in the sand. And they jumped rope, and uh, Irwin, when I was going with Irwin, and he brought a nice big load of nice sand, and they had a wonderful time playing in that. Uh, years before that, uh, somebody had gotten hurt. I think, I'm not sure how badly hurt they were. I don't know if they died. Or, but anyway, they wouldn't have any swings or any playground equipment. So it was very limited. But kids would bring things from home to play out in the playground. 
Was there another teacher at, at the school yes. when you were there? Who was that? Uh, her name was Faye Treganza. Don't ask me how to spend it, spell it. But she was there only that year. She wasn't a very good teacher. And I had to start them out on when they got in the second grade on that first grade reading and get them caught up, which I worked very hard at getting their reading up to level. I devoted my time. I really was interested in teaching. And uh, so I devoted my time to doing the things that needed to be done. They had always had elderly women. It was during the war and it was hard. You couldn't get uh, men teachers because they were in the service. So there were all elderly women who came here that were teaching here. when, And they had left and uh, Faye and I came. Did the school have a bell? Uh, Did the school building have a bell, if you recall? Not when I was there. I understand there was a bell, and I understand so-and-so's family has it, and so-and-so's family says so-and-so says it. That's the way a lot of things in Brookline. Somebody would say one person, they would say the other. Still had these things. There were things from the church. So I don't know whatever. Oh, and there were stained glass windows too. That uh, well, they were at the church that disappeared. Um, the uh, Milford Street School had a little spire, a little belfry, didn't it? Uh, was that there? Do you recall? Oh, I don't recall that. Okay. Really. I don't know. Okay. Um, so how did you meet Irwin? Um, I uh, Irwin, of course, lived in this house. Okay. So I had to go buy it every day. And there was sort of a race in town to who was going to date the school teacher first. <laughs> and um, I joined the Grange and because uh, there was really nothing to particularly do here in Brookline but join the Grange. So I joined the Grange, which he belonged to. And um, he uh, was driving uh, Raman Burgess up Milford Street where he lived. And then we just went around the block, and we just started going together. Was he out of school working? Yes, he worked at Tasker's Turkey Farm. Uh, I want to ask you about Tasker's, but first, before we get too much distance, uh, we don't have the Grange anymore. Would you explain the role that the Grange played in this town? Well, it was really the only, only activity that was really going on uh, in town. So there were a lot of people that belonged to it. And when it dissolved here in Brookline, uh, they went to Wilton to the Grange. What uh, what were the Grange activities? Well, that was an agricultural uh, group helped with agricultural things for towns. But it was more of a, when I came to it, a recreational thing. There was not not much to do so. From the old uh, newspapers I read there were a lot of dinners and events. Well they did a lot of uh, fundraising things Okay. to keep the Grange going and to do good for the town. Where did the Grange meet? Um, up in the town hall upstairs and they had a closet in the hallway where they had their things because it was a you had to have a password to get in, unless it was an open meeting. 
what would happen at a normal Grange meeting? Well, the president would reside over any business that had to be taken care of. Usually there was some, um, the one of the members would uh, be the program committee and they'd have some kind of a program. One time I can remember that we had a um, an old stove and we had a, like an old meeting and people wore the long skirts like they had. And we had things like that. So they they put on little skits? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you remember lectures by any chance? People giving lectures on a subject? Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Okay. Who were the major players in the Grange that you recall? Well, there was the president and there was a vice president. There was a doorkeeper because you couldn't I'm get wondering who they were. Oh, Erwin was the president of, of the Grange at one time. I can't remember who were the program. Well, give me these officials then. You were starting to tell me. There's a doorkeeper? Yes. What was his or her job? Well, not to let anybody in without a password, unless it was an open meeting. It was a very, I don't know, well, it really wasn't secretive, but we didn't tell other people what was going on. They did a lot of good deeds for farmers. It was a farmer's organization. All right, well, uh, you're thinking that maybe Erwin, your husband-to-be, was working at Tasker's? He was working at Tasker's when I met him. Would you tell us about Tasker's? Well, Tasker's was a turkey farm. And they, um, in the spring, they had eggs that hatched, and Erwin would have to take care of the uh, pulse, they called them. And also... Uh, he would uh, deliver them to different uh, turkey places around. We went even as far as Maine with some once. And you had to be very careful not to have, you know, it was hot weather. So you'd, we usually did it at night where you could have the windows open and it would be cooler because you didn't want to lose any pulps on the way. What else did he do at Taskers and what were they like? Oh, the Taskers was a nice couple. Ann Corey was a Tasker. And she had a, a sister, Caroline, who they call Muffy. Muffy lives in Maine. And uh, they just had their raised turkeys. They, well, they hatched the eggs. Erwin had to go every night through the turkey house. And um, those that were setting on eggs, they, don't want, they would put them in a cage. Because they, they didn't want them setting on them at that time. Because we would go through the... Ages. He had a light on the top of his. Do you want to pause? No, they probably. I get more telemarketers than I can handle. So we'll ignore him. It'll ring for a while. Fair right. enough. So, uh, what he would do at the turkey farm, Irwin? Well, um, he would um, feed them. He would make sure there was no setting ones and. Um, at Thanksgiving and Christmas time, he killed them, and then some ladies from Brookline would come and uh, pluck off the, the uh, feathers, and people would buy. You you wanted your turkey to come from Taskers. So how old do you figure Erwin was at this point, approximately? Uh, well, he went there to work right out of high school, oh. graduated when he was 18 years old, so... He was four years younger than I. Okay, thank you. Um, what happened to the uh, turkey farm? Um, nobody 
you know, nobody wanted it, and they, they were ready to retire. So nobody wanted it, so it just went by the way. Uh, I gather they tried blueberries or something? Yes. They had a blueberry patch in there where the turkey houses had been. Did the turkey houses get torn down? Mm. They got dis dismantled, and they, they decided to raise uh, blueberries because then they had people come in and pick their own so it was easy for them to handle. Did Irwin work with at the blueberry farm or was he all done with the turkeys? No, at that time the garage was open. It was a, a golf station and Lawrence Corey owned it and they thought that would make a good job for Irwin so he went there to work. And would you describe to people ten years hence where this garage is? right there where Eddie, Eddie Arnold is now. So it's across from the Ski Hill Ski Lodge. It's yeah. on the uh, east side of 13 uh, at the corner of Bond Street and 13. Yeah. Who, who owned it before? Lawrence Court. Lawrence and I think Edith owned some too because I think the rent went to her at times. Okay. Who owned it before Lawrence Corey? He, he and Walter Frost owned that piece of land. Walter Frost lived in the house, first house on Bond Street on the right. And uh, they owned it together. They built the garage. And then they had a fellow there, but he wasn't doing They thought that Irwin would make a better manager. That's a matter of opinion. But <laughs> who, who was the person that got the rent money also? Uh, Edith. Edith and Lawrence shared the rent money. What's their last name? Frost? No. Lawrence Corey oh, and Edith Corey. Uh, Edith is you. the one that lives next door here Yes, now. of course. Okay, thank and you. And Lawrence lived in that house there, where Charlie lives. Across the uh, brook from from this house. Uh, yeah. What do you know, what do you, what is the name of the brook? I have no idea. Yeah. We just call it the brook. Fair enough. And, uh, well, talk about this house that we're in for a moment. Uh, who owned it before y you and Erwin? Um, and take me back to the oh. extent you can. Well, I sat with 1880 when the Corys took over. Her that was Herbert Corey. And Herbert Corey, uh, it was um, willed to Her um, Harry Corey. Is that his son? Yeah. And then from him was, uh, it went to... Uh, Erwin Corey, which was his son. It always went to a son. Um, and Erwin, now it will go to his nephew, um, Charles, uh, Charles Jr. Corey. Charles Corey Jr. Who is Charles Corey uh, Jr. the son of? Huh? Cheryl and oh, Charles Sr. Of course. Sorry. All right. And Herbert was the first one. Uh, but obviously the Corys were here before that. I mean, Herbert was the first one in this house. Yes, but uh, first came the Pheasantons to Brookline, and then came the Fowls, and then came the Corys to Brookline. And uh, the Austins came in there somewhere. Now I can't tell you, I can't remember just where the Austins, the Austins are a real old family. They may have come in somewhere before that era. How did these families get along over time? Well, the Pheasantons ran everything. 
uh, and the uh, they had uh, there was a Pheasanton's well the Pheasanton's garage started in uh, Townsend and then when Route 13 went through then uh, Aldo made the garage on Route 13 and then the Fowles had their garage where it where well I don't think it's going now but but it was a botanical <coughs> garage it's on the west side of Route 13 at the bottom of the ski hill yeah uh, George built that and maybe Bentley and Grover they may have all owned owned it at one time and uh, I didn't know the Fowles too well except Sonny Sonny before he was married did a lot of good wonderful things for different people in town. One year he bought all these boots for banks and they had spurs on the back and guess who he got? The two school teachers to wrap them all up. <laughs> but he did something. He would take them in June to uh, Whitcomb's ice cream stand and buy them all ice cream. The, the school kids? <laughs> Sonny did a lot of and for us as school teachers we were living in Peter Morges' apartment he bought us a used television, so we'd have something. And um, Peter Morgis's place was a big place with a barn attached, which is at the bottom of, which is at the corner of Steamer Hill Road and Main Street. Yes, and there was an apartment up in the back that Peter rented to me. Well, Faye and I both lived there, but she didn't get asked to come back. She wasn't a very good teacher, and she didn't get asked back. And then. They hired this uh, woman, Mrs. Shea, Catherine Shea, to teach, and they weren't too sure how she was going to make up, but she did a wonderful job teaching, and she got everybody up to par. And well, why did you stop teaching? Um, I had a baby. Tell I, I stopped in March, and my baby was born the end of April. Okay. Deborah. We'll go back to that. Did you mentioned him so... Uh, what can you tell us about Peter Morgis? Well, Peter Morgis, he was very good to us as tenants. Like he took care of our trash and garbage, and he made sure every morning that he got up early enough to get the heat up into the apartment. And uh, he was, he was just, um, he did a lot of good things for people. And he, of course, he had a grandson. Um, oh, what was his name? Oh. But anyway, his grandson, he was very good to his grandson. Peter, wasn't he in the Evergreen business, Laurel business? Yes, yes, that's right, he was. Uh, what do you remember about Peter in that business? Well, that L to the barn, that's where they used to make the wreaths. they bring the different, the men around town, they would go up into the into the wooded areas and pick the laurel and bring bags of laurel down. I can remember Ethel Omaleski's husband bringing his, he was a rugged man and he would bring down I think two bags of laurel at a time. And where would they be taken to? Well, like Peter Morgis's place and um, sometimes some of it went to towns and to a group that made wreaths over there. Wreaths were really the only money-making thing here in Brookline at a, for a while. And uh, so where were they assembled, the reeds? Where did they assemble the reeds? 
well, different people did it in their homes. That was that was a you learned how to make a wreath. I could never learn. I could never learn. Do you remember other people who were part of that business? That, if I'm not mistaken, the Bents were. Do you yes, the Bents did it. Um, um, Porter. Her name was Porter. I can't think of her first name now. She made wreaths. That's the way some of the housewives made their money for Christmas. Brookline was an extremely poor town when I came here, and they had a real hard time getting school teachers. But they only were having 15 students in the second grade that year, and my parents lived right next door in Milford. So I thought it would be was a good opportunity for me to get established as a school teacher, and I didn't intend to stay here very long. Ended up living the rest of my life here. What were your initial impressions of this little town when you first got involved? Well, I, I, I could see that it was a poor town and that the teachers hadn't been too good at really spending their time teaching and they had very few supplies. The supplies that I had when I was student teaching, they the ones that they wasted would have been satisfactory here. We saved every scrap of colored paper and the math paper was wet. It was in a closet down at the Daniels Academy that got all wet. We still had to use it. But uh, we may do. Did you find that there were children uh, who needed a lot of support in your class? Oh, yes. Um, Aldo, Aldo Fessenden's wife knitted mittens because there were so many kids that had... They would come with their little sneakers in the wintertime and uh, to school they, and just a little thin jacket. But um, we got some supplies for them and... Uh, it eventually worked out of that poorness. I don't think you've considered it a poor town now, but it was a re really poor town. And um, they had, the teachers, uh, I think they did the best they could, but I, I really worked at it because I wanted to bring them up to grade. I just felt that an education for them would further their progress in life. And I can remember one child. I asked the Grange if they would uh, buy milk for them. They used to have milk that uh, the milkman would come with these, you know, pints of milk, and uh, the students would buy it. Well, some kids couldn't. There was a family they could. I don't know whether they could afford it or not, but they didn't. Uh, I got the Grange to buy their milk because the father came when the milk was shut off and wanted to know why as he ate his steak <laughs> and uh, it was just it was a, just a real poor town I mean people probably wondered why I came here to teach but I thought it was an advantage for me to get established and I love this town now why? I don't know, the way that developed and uh, the people in it, the people were very good to me. And um, until I started, well, because of Irwin's 
affiliation with the quarries and the quarries with the racetrack. Because there were people, while it made a lot of noise down South Brookline, it was very annoying. Well, tell, us, uh, tell us about that. Uh, what, what happened, what was the problem with the racetrack? Noise. Who, who ran the racetrack? Oh, Lawrence and, uh, Lawrence Corey and I think, um, Nathan Fessenden was involved in that too. I know that Lawrence was. Because at that time, um, if I was in the grocery store, there was a woman in town who would block my way. I couldn't get through. I'd have to turn around and go another way. Because she was mad at you? Because of the racetrack and my affiliation with the Corys. Oh, okay. But Eventually the racetrack went away? Yeah. Why, how'd that happen? Why'd I, that happen? I don't really know Okay. what happened with the racetrack. Do you remember the noise from the racetrack? Well, I was at the racetrack. Right. I loved the racing, so oh. I was there, so the noise didn't bother me. Right, of course. That's wonderful. What uh, kind of uh, restaurant was there uh, at Whitcomb's place when the racetrack was there, or was it not established yet? Hmm. No, I think Whitcomb's, they had an ice cream stand to start with. And then it just um, grew bigger into the restaurant part. But there was always the railroad snack bar. Let's well, talk about that for a sec. Uh, Lawrence owned that. And, and how are you related to Lawrence? Um, well, they called him Uncle Uncle Al, but he was really a cousin to uh, Irwin's father, Harry. Harry and Lawrence were cousins. And what was that uh, railroad snack bar like? Oh, it was it was a place where you could go in and you could get a hamburger dinner for three ninety five. You got a hamburger, some French fries, and some uh, um, beans, uh, string beans, green beans, and a roll, I think, and probably a coffee. Who uh, were the workers there other than Lawrence Corey? Edith. Edith worked there. The one that lives next door here now. She worked there, and Grammy Corey. Uh, Erwin's um, mother, Louise, she um, made the pies, and then she went to work in the afternoon and worked in the evening there for a while. And then Virginia, who was Lawrence's wife, lived next door. She uh, worked there some, too, but eventually she, she left town. The interior of the restaurant did it have lots of old stuff. I think it had, did it have old documents and photos in the wall, do you remember? It did have, yes some uh, nice memorabilia and eventually were you the one that got them back well the historical society got some stuff from riverside i don't know if the railroad stuff went to riverside and then when riverside closed we got that stuff but we didn't get anything directly from the railroad snack bar somebody bought some stuff i got some stuff somehow and it got back to brookline I Eventually, so. yes, a lot of that stuff got back. Why? Um, let's see. Did uh, did Lawrence sell the place to somebody? Yes, the Stewarts bought it. From I think they came from Amist, but they didn't do a very good job of it. If uh, nobody came in between eight and nine o'clock, then they eventually would close at eight o'clock. Then people stopped coming, you know, at seven o'clock and. Eventually, it just closed up. They just didn't know how to run it. If you're going to have a business like that, it's a 24-hour-a-day thing. 
and because uh, that was Lawrence's neatest life. Well, they weren't married; they were just cousins. But. Well, talk to me about another business, the uh, Village Store. What do you remember about the Village Store in the old days? Well, when I first came here to Brookline, I would drive my mother-in-law. I lived in a trailer on this property, and uh, she and I would go over to the Village Store and buy a week's groceries because uh, Alfie Hall was a good meat cutter, so you could get your meats there, all your vegetables, everything. You didn't have to go out. I never went out of town to buy my groceries when I first came here to Brookline. And then it just sort of went downhill, you know. People didn't want to devote the time to it. And people stopped buying so much stuff, and then they stopped. They would have a sale every year, and you could buy a case of, like, green beans. I bought cases of food to have. They were, it was reasonable. They had um, red and white brand. They, uh, the Alfie uh, and his father, Forrest. Forrest was a town clerk, I think. He, he was some town. And he, yeah, because you went there. We went there for a marriage license, I remember. And I think the other things you went to him for. And he was uh, Alfie's father. They ran the store. But uh, when they no longer could do it, people didn't want to devote the time. So it just, and people weren't buying. What about Whitcomb store? Was that an operation? Yes, it was next to the post office because I did some trading. I did more trading when I first came here to Brookline because I had to go to the post office to get my mail. So I'd just go in there and buy what I needed. And you could buy your week's groceries there too if you needed to. Did, did you remember Eddie's father at all? No, I don't. Was Eddie running it, you think, and his mm. mom? Yeah, I think I think I think he died maybe young, but I'm not sure. Well, Eddie told me yes. Uh, Eddie was twelve when he died. Oh well, then he was. Uh, do you remember movies across the street going on from Whitcomb's? Was that before you? That was before I came here. Okay. No, there were no movies in town when I came. How about in Town Hall? What kind of entertainment do you recall taking place in Town Hall on a regular basis? Well, every year, at least once a year, a group of Brookline people would put on a play. Because I can remember Miriam Jefferson. She was always in it. She was good. I can't remember the other people that were in it, but Miriam Jepson always was in it. Miriam was very, very involved in Brookline. In fact, she, Charlotte Fowle and, and I went to her house every Wednesday afternoon and we gathered information and we had it in a, in a filing cabinet box in her house. And her son gave it to so-and-so in town. And that's the last, all that time we spent on it. Oh, I just, I almost cry every time I, I realize. Now I know that if I have any information to get a duplicate copy, it should be in the town hall. We've heard stories like that time and time again. Uh, yeah. That's, uh... Well, see, we, we got the names. Miriam knew the names and addresses of a lot of older people that lived in Brookline that were not here anymore. And we wrote to them, and we got a lot of nice information. It's all gone. Because the group that Marion had died, and we didn't have any idea 
Well, let, let me just tell you, maybe I'll help. The Historical Society has gotten Miriam's uh, genealogy notes. Uh, she got information on families, and, yeah. and some of it included information from outside sources, so maybe that's some of what you're talking about we, we, were, we were able to save. So, but uh, I, I learned a good lesson also not to loan in. I loaned, there were some signs that were on the um, these people's car in the 1919 parade and I had them and this person wanted to borrow them for some reason or I guess I put on a car for some other never gave them back to me. I can't we've been trying and trying to get pictures of that car to get the if I have a woman that would make the signs again and she she writes the way that they did but I can't find the last letter so the Kleins car the Kleins live I think where the Rudders in the Rudder house the Kleins and, and they also had the summer cottage where the Dennehy's live okay so let me pause on that the Klein is spelled K-L-I-N-E C-L. I think their name was, maybe it was K-L-I-N-E. Okay, well, and then even how they spelled it, 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 their house is kind of across the street from Peter Morgis's house, across Main Street. Yeah, it was more across from the library. More across from mm. what was the Methodist Church, not yeah. the library. And so the Kleins, I think his name was Morton, do you know? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, the Kleins... The Apparently lived on Main Street in that big house we're describing, but also had the place on Mason Road, which the Dennehy family now owns. Yes, and um, I just spent a lot of time in the cemetery, and some of the information that I got from the cemetery did not jive with some other stuff that I had, but uh, I, I went up and down. I spent a lot of time in the cemetery. Oh, I love that research work. I wish I... If I had the legs now, I'd do research work. What came of it, Hazel? Oh, I don't know where all that is now. Well, it's uh, priceless stuff. If we ever can copy it, if yeah. you're, you're tempted, we'd be happy to pay for it and return the originals to you. Well, anytime anybody's doing anything, they're not going to do it outside of my house. I don't blame you. That's fair enough. They have to uh, come here and copy it here. And I have a copy machine, so... It would be easy to get copies of this material. Wonderful. Because um, it really breaks my heart that some of the good Brookline history is gone. You and me both. And I don't know if some of it we'll ever dig up. But uh, We're doing our best, but some yeah. of it's gone forever. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're doing our best. Um, okay, well, let's see. Let me think then. Um, we had the two grocery stores in town. Um, how about, uh, let's see, any other businesses? Do you remember Willie's uh, uh, Country Store as a business at the event center? W Willie Pelletier had some kind of store there? No? Uh, he had a lot of, I don't want to say junk, but he had a lot of things. Uh, there was an old building. Is that building still there? I think so. He would have that full. I had, uh, I've got a punch bowl here that Erwin bought down there. A punch bowl and uh, cups to go with it. And a huge, 
was a huge thing that he bought down there for me. We would periodically, people would periodically go there to see if there's anything new to, they wanted to buy. I collected green glass, so I picked up green glass there. And he would have an auction. Put thing, People would put things out, or he would put things out beside the road uh, Memorial Weekend. So, I really came here. I really love this town. I don't know why, I just love it here. I would never move. I love it too. Why do we love it? I get some of the character of it. And the people, uh, once they get to know you, it's a likable town. So, I mean, I just came, somebody said you didn't get very far. I just came from Milford, but Milford is, is a large, spread out and I had an aunt who did a lot of research on Milford and wrote a book for fourth grade students. So it's sort of in my blood to do this. So uh, I, you would know better than I, but I would have sworn that the Corys were here first. No. That Was it Nathaniel Corey who owned the White House that... Uh, I don't know who owns it now, on Main Street on the Little Knoll in the wedge between Old Milford Road and Main Street. Uh, Sharon Austin owned it for a while. I think maybe Paul Andres owned it for a while. I don't remember Nathan so, Corey. Okay. A Charles Nathan. Okay. Well, maybe C.N. Corey. I named my son after him. Well, perhaps I'm mistaken. Well, let, let's go back to your memories and how about businesses on Route 13? Were there any businesses on Route 13? Do you remember Scala or the Yankee Doodler? Yes, I remember those. There was like a um, motel down that, at that end of town and I don't know what there's no small little buildings down there now. It's a I don't know what Do you know who ran them or anything? Um, the Scala was run by, hmm. oh, I know their name, but it's not coming through. Well, let me try this one, because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Nudson? Yes, that, kind of, yes. It was like a smorgasbord, I think. There was one up in Wilton that they owned, and they made one almost down here, they had a smorgasbord. People enjoyed it a lot. The ski hill. Do you remember the ski hill in operation? Oh, yes. I used to uh, go there and um, run the... Uh, people would buy my ticket at the ticket booth. I would run it for Lawrence. And I would also work in the kitchen during a skiing season. Well, who owned the ski hill at that point? Who owned the Scala? Who owned the ski hill at oh, that point? Oh, Lawrence. Lawrence Corey. Lawrence Corey owned the ski area, yes. Lawrence really owned quite a bit around town. And the Corys had, uh, where, La where uh, Clarence Corey built his house, was land. Um, Erwin's father had a grain shed where the, their house is now. There was a, there was shed buildings there. Uh, okay, I'm not sure where we are. Tell me. Where, where Edith Corey lives now. Okay, yeah, right next door. Yeah, there was a, a grain place there, grain shed. 
and people would go there and buy their grain. And people that didn't have money, then they, Corey's got land. Herb, uh, Corey got land. So like where Clarence is now, that was Corey land, and there was Corey land here and there, which is all gone now, but it came it, in handy. I'll bet. Uh, Clarence, uh, Corey's place, it, if you go up Steam Mill Hill and turn right, mm -hmm. it's to the east. Yeah. Uh, up the hill a little bit. Yeah. And he married Ann Tasker. Yeah. And what did they have kid-wise? They met. The uh, they had Pam, who's the oldest, and then Judy. Okay. The two girls. Uh, do you remember? Uh, let's see. I'm going to pause from businesses for a sec. Do you remember town meetings at all? Did you go to town meetings or any? Um, I went and sat up in the, um, in the um, belfry. Uh, not the belfry. Okay. The upstairs part. I couldn't vote or anything when I first came here, but I, I used to go with Erwin, and uh, he could. And um, I really enjoyed the town meetings. There was a man, Miss Fred Barry. He thought everybody should pay for their own diggings at the cemetery. And that struck me, and it still does so funny. I just thought that if that goes through, tomorrow everybody's going to be down the cemetery digging a hole so they'll be ready for them. But that didn't go through. But Fred Barry was, um, he wanted a lot for a little money. And uh, he used to make the town meetings. Also, um, Ina Nudson and his brother, I think it was a brother, they used to make uh, town meetings interesting, too. How so? I can't remember how they did. I just remember that they did. Probably spoke with a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, or something, yeah. some of their ideas. Oh, okay. I think might have been. Okay. Um. So Irwin was on the. Well, wait a minute. When did you and Irwin marry? In 1958. Where'd you marry? Uh, in Milford at the Baptist Church that was on uh, South South Street. And so when. After your marriage, you went to the Morges apartment? Or? We lived in a trailer in the back here. Back of this building? Yeah. Okay. And because uh, his mother lived in this house, and it was always to go to him. And when we started having children one a year, she decided that we needed more room than the trailer. So she and Edith built that, tore down the building that was there and built their house on the foundation. They had one of those prefab houses at that time, and um, we moved in, Erwin and I moved into this house, because he was supposed to inherit it anyway. You don't know when that was, do you? I think we moved in here in 1959. Well, we couldn't have had more than one baby by that time, because we were only married in 1958. But I was thinking 1959. Nine. I can. The one thing I can remember about that is uh, we just got Charlie upstairs, and uh, the fire alarm blew, and of course it was right across the street was the firehouse. Uh, my children were always at the. If Wilfred Susie came down and stopped at the firehouse, they were all to get back from the from the uh, road because firemen would be coming and parking on the side of the road. And. Um, one time my mother went down, she, there was a hairdresser down there. She wanted to know why all those cars were parked in front of my house. 
I said, and uh, Christine didn't like the, she was up by the barn and the echo from that fire horn, oh, scared her to death. She's gotten used to it? Oh, well now, because it's over the Bond Street, so it doesn't bother us. Oh, where was the horn? It was right on, right across, that was where the firehouse was. Oh, the, um... Ambulance Bay yeah. Library Annex building. That was, uh, they built that, that addition that's got the slanted roof to fit the 50 fire truck, 1950 fire truck, when they bought it. It didn't fit into any of the ones that were there, so they built that on. I can remember that. Do you remember any fires in particular? Big mm -hmm. ones, memorable ones? They had, up on Steam Mill Hill, I think they had a bad one, and of course, I before I came to Brookline, all that wooded area over there was a big, big fire. I can remember. Um, was that the fire from Townsend Forest that came into Brookline? Yes, I think so. But it was. We never had a bad fire like that after that. But they were having them in different areas. Um, those big um, forest fires. Let me go back to the fire on top of Steam Mill Hill Road because we used to have, uh, that used to be our house. And I recently came across an article. In 1951, that house had a fire and it belonged to Harry uh, Powers and his father was a Welland Powers, a fiddler. Is that the fire you're talking about? Could be, yes. Do you remember the Powers at all up there, those people? No, uh, I, ha I, had a, I had a nice picture that I gave to the Historical Society. Of sh what? They should have it. Of uh, Llewellyn? Yeah. Fiddler? Yes, we do. And uh, Thank you very much. He lived right up at the top. Right. As you go straight ahead. He lived at the top there uh, of uh, Steam Mill Hill. Yeah. What's it like being the wife of somebody so involved in the fire department? That must have taken a lot of your time. Well, I, I used to do some bookkeeping for them and uh, I would write like people would donate money I would write the thank you notes for Erwin and uh, when of course when the fire alarm blew no matter what we were driving by coming up the street one time with the kids in the back Erwin put on the brakes the kids jumped out and he went to the fire and Easter Sunday he was dressed with his good shoes from we were in church. Everybody went, good shoes and good clothes and all, right to the fire. The firemen were very, very dedicated. I think they still are, but they were very dedicated back then. What do you remember about the move to build a new firehouse after, I guess, the annex became too small for them or something? I don't know. Well, uh, where they have the firehouse now used to be the kids' ball field. And uh, that seemed to be the ideal place, but everybody fought it because they wanted to keep it as a ball. There were plenty of people who wanted to keep it a, as a ball field, but eventually it went through as the only place. There was no other place here, and the land was really getting used up, and uh, they thought that they better take about they would be difficult to find a decent place for the firehouse. Who built the firehouse? Do you remember? No. no. I think... No, that was for the, for the addition. Erwin went around and solicited 
people to take down their trees, took them down to Bingham's. Bingham would saw them out and give us uh, seasoned lumber. And uh, that's what they built the new fire, uh, the addition to the firehouse. Who hammered the nails? Firemen? Oh, yes. Everybody worked with it. I can remember uh, Ross Jensen was, uh, I think he was a plumber or something. They would put it, they put in the plumbing works and the, I don't think the town spent very much money, if any, on that addition to the firehouse because people just donated. People were very generous. At one time, I don't think they were because of the way people approached people. But, uh, well, it's like Irwin had a heart attack and he couldn't be on the fire department any longer. But he could not get himself to resign. So one of the firemen came and the way that he approach was going to approach her when I wouldn't let him come near him well then because um, I knew it would be a very upsetting he finally um well I can't think well uh, another one of the firemen came and had a chat with Irwin and eventually and Irwin did resign then from the fire company I'm sure that was a delicate conversation oh yes he was very diplomatic about it and so Irwin agreed that it was time for him to resign because he couldn't go to fires any longer, and he was taking somebody else's that could be a benefit to the town. So, Erwin was always very, he really loved this town. He was born in this house, right? In one of the front rooms, he was born, and uh, When was he, he born? Hmm? When was he born, do you remember? Um, Sorry. 19, when was I born? 1962. Uh, was I born in... What? No, no, no. What year was... I was born in... I can't think of... Too many questions. You gave it to me earlier, but... So he was four years younger than... Yeah, me. he yeah. was born... I think he was born in 36, okay. 1936. And so he was a wonderful man. Was he always that nice? Well, I didn't realize how wonderful he was till after he died Then the things that people <laughs> told me that he did for them. Really? He never bragged about a thing that he did for other people, but he did a lot of things for other people. So uh, then I realized. I used to get annoyed because he would be so busy, tied up with town things and people things and everything. He didn't have time to be at home. But he had a he had a real nice funeral. It was a very touching service. How so? What people said? Well, people, uh, at that time, people would get up and give testimonials, and um, um, Charlie, his son, Charlie, got up and gave a real nice testimony and about his father. So then I realized just how much he did mean to this town. He was very important thinking back, how about other individuals who you think were important Brookliners? You've been here for how many years? I came here in 1954 or 55. So you've been here 70 years or so. Uh, uh, 40 and 20 is 60. 60 years. Um, were there other people who were important in town? The, yeah. The, there actually were Pheasantons that were and 
fowls that were and Whitcombs that were. Well, let's touch on them so we can well, uh, share your memories. Uh, the fowl, uh, the Pheasantons was O.D. Pheasanton. And uh, he was the first one. And then there was... Um, Did you happen to know him or was that before your time? I, I didn't know him, I don't think. I, I think I knew his widow. Um, oh, what was her name? She knit mittens for the school children who needed them. El, no, what was her name? Well, it'll come to me someday. And I'll write it down. <laughs> and um, the Fowls, uh, they were the, well, like Clarence was the road agent, they were the people that did the construction part of things. And, uh, and of course, the Whitcombs had their ice cream parlor in the store. Yeah, uh, Harlan, not Harlan. Well, Eddie Whitcomb's father might have been Harlan. I think it was. Um, they ran the sto he ran the store and the restaurant with his mother. And uh, and the Whitcombs. The Austins. What role did they play in town? I know they were an early family. I think they might have been the earliest family, but I don't know what they did in town. All I remember is Eva Austin and her husband ran the furnace at the school, but I don't. I don't remember the about the Austin. Oh, somewhere that's written down. Um, some of the Austin's accomplishments. I may have the book here somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. That, uh, about the family? Yeah. Is this the one that Mark Fountain did? Yeah. I, I, I had a copy and I can't find it. Because <laughs> we, we, yeah, I, I think the Austins got very bad coverage in the town history. They've been here forever mm. and somehow they just didn't get around to preserving their information. Uh, do you remember Jimmy Austin? He was a character. No? Jimmy. I remember Jim Austin. Well, Jim. That would be Lisey's father. Okay. He was a character. That's the guy. He was um, he was a pilot. He what piled wood. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was he like? He was a character. He How was so? jolly. He was a character, though. How so? Oh, I don't know. People just thought of him as a character. I don't know how. I didn't really know Jim too bit, too much. I know Lisey a lot, but and um, I know she she took care of her father and then her mother when they were ill. He was ill quite a while. I didn't become too involved in Brookline when I first came here because I didn't intend to stay. Who were your friends over time? Oh, uh, friends come and go. But. Yeah, well, most of my friends were from Milford because I graduated in 1950. Because I had a Doris Jones who lived in in, in Milford, and uh, she used to come over here and uh, spend time with me when I was in Peter Morges's apartment. Or even after I got married, she, 
I spent time with her. And uh, Betty Burke, that's who. Donald Burke's daughter. Oh, tell us about that. Okay, um, and Don, too. We hmm? should talk about Don. Donnie Burke, we should talk about him. That's a story. Yes. He um, was the... Uh, janitor at the ch at the firehouse. There wasn't a spot on anything in that firehouse. The windows were always shined. The floors were always done. He shined up the fire trucks. He'd, it, that was his life after he became the janitor there and he just did everything. Nobody could do it. Um, J.P. tries now. Um, J.P. Royer. He tries now but he couldn't, he doesn't have the time because he has a family and a job otherwise, besides doing that, so. Uh, Tell us what you remember about the Donald Burke story. Well, Donald Burke used to come up and pump gas for Erwin and um, help him in any way he could. He was just a person that helped people, but he spent a lot of time at the garage and uh, and also with the, the fire department was his life. He lived on Bond Street, mm -hmm. didn't he? Yeah. That second house on Bond Street. Okay. And on the right. On the right. Going from the Route 13 down. Gotcha. He lived there. And You say you had a daughter? Daughter Betty. Betty Burke moved with her I don't know, boyfriend, husband, out to Missouri. And I think she's still living there. She well, people didn't think that I treated Erwin right when he had uh, Alzheimer's. I had to put him in a nursing home eventually. It of just got, you did. Of get to that did. point, but people didn't understand, and right. so I don't have any. She doesn't have anything to do with me anymore. Neither does my sister-in-law. I understand. But it's easy for people to judge when they're not carrying the load. But my children understood because, of course, they were involved in part of it. Yeah. And everything that was. A, was, it's a difficult time to go and say, take off life supports. I look, took one look at Earl in, in the bit in the hospital. I knew it was time for me to do that, but uh, even when I talk about it now, I could cry. But I said, take the life support off. And I thought he'd go right away. And my daughter stayed with him, and it was 4 o'clock the next morning before he passed. I hope my wife has the courage to do that when I'm in mm. that. Position, Hazel. Well, just let her know that if I'm still here, <laughs> I understand uh, because uh, it is a terrible, difficult time. I can't imagine what it, how hard it must be. Because Erwin and I had a really good, close marriage, so it was extremely difficult. Oh, I can't imagine that. The, I'm sorry. Well, those things happen in life. But you have to go through them. I suppose doesn't make it any easier no. though. Didn't Irwin have a uh, snowmobile old time thing or what was that? It was an old snowmobile. His father used to deliver mail and he sometimes would deliver his mail in Mason with that snowmobile. It's still down in the barn. Um, there's a discovery. I, Charlie won't let anybody touch it and little Charlie was going to make the repairs and then they were going to use it and have fun with it. But 
Isn't it like a, a Model T Roadster with tracks or something? Yeah, it has a, um, a tracks on it. And skis in front. Yeah. But it was a car at one point, right? I don't know. Okay. But really. does, it, does it look like that? It's that big, isn't it? Or is it a tiny little... Oh, no, belt? it's a regular size. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about that, probably you should ask Charles Jr. Yeah, I should ask him if they'd let us take a picture of it or something. Do you know the story of it, where it came from or anything? It was a snowmobile. No, I don't know how come they had it. Okay, fair enough. There's quite a story they tell about uh, finding the pumper, which was disassembled, and then getting the parts and reassembling it. You know that? Yes. That. Eddie Whitcomb and Irwin. It was found somewhere, I think, in Vermont, the parts. And they went up and I think the fellow finally uh, maybe ma donated some of it to them and they paid some to uh, on it. But uh, What do they call that machine? They have names for other machines that I forget. No, I can't. Oh, okay. I can't think of that. Somebody with a better memory of the history of the fire department. Yeah, I'll do that. Thank and you. I think they have a, a book in the filing cabinet of the firehouse that tells some of the infant. But um, you wouldn't be able to get it out of the firehouse because they don't let anything out because we don't want to lose anything more. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, Miriam. Uh, yeah. Tell us uh, a little bit about Miriam Jepson. Well, Miriam Jepson was involved in most everything that went on in Brookline. They used to put a play on once a year, and she always had the lead. And uh, she and Charlotte Fowle and I would go to her house once a week. And we would, Charlotte would drive us. We drove, she drove us to Concord to get information. And um, Miriam had the addresses of some of these older people, and we wrote to them and got a lot of good information. That's why I hate losing that, but gone. Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere that you can dig it up anymore. I just know not to let it out of the house because there's certain people in Brooklyn, they treat it like it was gold. And, and once they get a hold of it, they're not going to let go. Well, I think it's for everybody. I mean, it should be kept in the town hall, maybe under lock and key. Yep. You're right. You don't know, you don't remember Evan Bartlett, do you? Yes. Al, I, I interviewed Alan Fessenden, Alan Fessenden said, Evan, who he was on the board of selectmen mm -hmm. at that point, wanted to do some cleaning at town hall, so he went into the vault and got rid of all sorts of old paper, which we didn't need anymore. I don't remember it was Evan. I, th I remember it as being some other people who, who did that, did that cleaning. Who, who do you think? Well, I can't think of their names now. I heard Alton Jensen did a lot of cleaning at the church. Yes. I heard that too. Yeah. Do, are, are you guys churchgoers over there? Well, that's a church I belong to, but yeah. I don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, do you have any uh, particular memories about uh, the church? I mean, I remember when the spire was down in the parking lot when they repaired that. Yeah. I, but I'm not a member of the church, so I don't know what what interesting things happen within the walls of that church? No, I can't really recall anything right at this moment. I don't think I attended very often. 
and everything, but that wasn't one I didn't belong to. Okay. Methodist Church, uh, did, did, was that ever in existence when you were here? Because uh, it was a youth center in like the... Yeah, no, it was a youth center in Sid Hall. Yeah. I can remember them playing basketball in there. Sid did a lot for the youth of um, Brookline, because they didn't have much to amuse them, but he's, he also uh, got the, the youth group of the church going and things like that. Sid Hall did a lot of good things for the town. So. Yeah. You, do you remember any unusual weather events? I've seen pictures when the, the brook here was flooded like up to the uh, village store. Do you remember such things? No, that was before my time. Okay. But I, ha I know that uh, Edith, I think, has some pictures of the flood that was out near, near Lawrence's house. Okay. Uh, the brook does overflow in the spring. But like everything in our cellar is built up so that it doesn't uh, damage anything anymore. Because usually the brook, if it's a wet year, that is a whole lake there. Charlie's been widening it or something? Yes, he's been digging it out and doing, I don't know what he's doing. He spoke to me about it and I said, go ahead, do yeah. what you want. You'll have to ask him what he's doing there. Yeah, I'll let you know if I find out. Uh, how about this bell ringing incident? Do you have any? Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine the church is right across the street? That thing drove me crazy over 4th of July. Two, especially two men in town, would go and they'd pound that bell. I had to drive in my car out of town to just get any relief and that thing rang in my ears for days after that stopped. But eventually, I don't know how they did get it to stop, but... Uh, Do you care to share who the enthusiastic bell ringers were? No. Okay. <laughs> I remember when I first came to town, it was 1980, top of Steam Mill Hill Road, that house we were talking about. Boy, it was so loud. I had uh, a newborn in the house. I walked down to try to figure out if there's something I could do. It became clear there was nothing I could do. No, eventually those people decided weren't interested in ringing it anymore and it just and, but you know, even out in Colorado where we had relatives, there was articles in their papers out there about this bell ringing in Brookline. It was, it was the thing. I can remember that uh, the bunker boy was part of that bell ringing business, but he gave it. He didn't do that very long. They decided, a group of them decided it was time to stop, and they did. But some people decided it was still time to keep it going. No, I, I've always disliked that bell. I said, if I am my way, I'll have them taken out. <laughs> How far back does that tradition go? When you first came, were they doing Oh, they were doing it when I first came to Brookline, yes. Yeah. It was, I don't know how it started. Because one time, what did they do? They put a sleigh on top of what building? Did, did you get a story on that? I have heard that, yeah, some people would bring wagons, collect wagons or mm -hmm. sleighs or something, and 
pile them up in the middle of the street or something, something. I'm yeah, they did something with them. I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that was what, after I came here. Um, Alvin Taylor. Do you remember Alvin Taylor? Yes, he was a chief of police. And tell us uh, what you remember about him. Well, oh, I know he lived there where, oh, he lived off of, um, I can't even think the street name, but he moved out out uh, on the Mason Road after a while. He started out on Meeting House Hill Road. Yeah. Where, yeah, at the bottom there where Mahakian, I think, lived for a while. Do you remember Rich Mahakian? Yes. Yeah. And then he moved out just past Campbell Brook. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of guy was this guy? Um, he was, he was a decent fellow, but, uh, his wife got involved too, and she, um, people didn't care for her knowing all their business, because if you called, you got her. That's understandable. And so, uh, it didn't work out too well for him. What happened? What What came of him? I don't know okay. what happened to him. But you're suggesting there was some unhappiness with that situation? Yes. Yeah. You want me to turn on the light so you can see your notes? Nah, I can. I should have brought my glasses in, but. Did you ever return to formal employment or you just helped the. Uh, you raised your family and you helped the. Uh, fire department. Yeah, no, I never went back into teaching. Yeah. Afterward. Well, I had a kindergarten in my house here for 17 years. You know, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. The, well, I had it in the other room, which was very small, and then Ernie Hassel, who did a lot of building for Lawrence, and he did it here, he made this was all sheds and pantry and everything. He made this into a kindergarten room that would fit the uh, requirements of the time. The state came in and they had requirements you had to fill. So I had it so I could have 12. I eventually had 16 students. Do you, can you give us a time frame generally when this was, maybe? Oh. Why do I think of 69? I had it for 17 years until my oldest daughter went to... She went to the kindergarten. That's all right. I don't mean to press you. No, I, I, I really can't w think Walk of us through your children. Well, Deborah is... She's 60 now. Charlie's 59. Irene's 58. And Christine is uh, 57. And where is everybody? Deborah teaches school in Pennacook. Charlie's next door. Irene lives in Mason. She married a David Cook. And they live right over the line. And Christine, of course, still lives at home and works at Hampshire Hills as a chef. Gotcha. How many, now, how many grandchildren? I have two grandchildren. I have Jessica, who has Gavin and uh, Aubrey. And then there's Charles Jr., who lives here in the house with me. And this will be his house someday. Wonderful. We want to keep it. I said to him, I, don't, I hope you don't decide to build any houses down back. He said, oh, no. I want to keep this as a piece of land. In fact, at one time, they w 
they were thinking about maybe putting a firehouse in that my taken by eminent domain that piece of property Nick but I didn't really want it that close I want to keep this open wonderful Why don't I turn you on a light? No, 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 you stick, but I, I, I get closer. I, I shouldn't really need my notes anyhow. Grover Farwell, what do you, what do you recall about Grover Farwell? Well, you've been seeing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they were like the road agents here in Brooklyn. They did all that kind of work. And um, he was very well respected, and um, I didn't know him very well. I knew Sonny. Uh, Robert Jr.? Yeah, better. Because be before he was married, he did a lot of things for the town, and the town always meant a lot to him. Did you ever know any of the Porters? No, I knew of Dell Porter, but, uh, and, um, Tom Moran's wife was a porter. Tom Moran's uh, wife, Marge, Marge, was a Marge porter. I met Charlotte Fowle when I was going to Milford School. The Brookline students came over there that year before they went to Nashville. They came over to Milford for a year or two. And uh, I remember Charlotte Fowle was engaged to the uh, porter boy that was killed. And then she married George. It was a traffic accident. Yeah. So, uh, and I can remember a girl in my room, my class, the students had heard rumors about her father. Her father was an alcoholic. Whose father? This girl in my class. Unnamed girl. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure of her name right at the moment, but anyway. And um, she she was not one to get upset, but she was very upset over that. And I had a chat with her and said to her, nobody knew your father. He was very good to his family. I said, nobody knew your father the way you and your mother did. I said, that's what you want to remember. And years later, she came back and stopped and had a chat with me. That meant a lot to her. It did, you can do a lot for your students if you're careful. If you really think out what you're going to say. I love teaching. Oh, I love teaching. But it didn't work out. I didn't want somebody else to. I could have gotten... Well, when I had the kindergarten, Elsie Pheasanton, um, Nason's wife, took care of my children. But I didn't really want... I wanted to bring up my own children, so I stopped teaching. It would be better today if more mothers did that. Uh, that's my opinion, but what do we know? So, but people want their cake and eat it too. But I had a really, I really had a good life. I had a good life growing up in Milford, and then when I came here to Brookline. Do you think? Brooklyn has changed? Oh, yes. Describe that change. Well, they no longer have a grocery store, which I, I miss, but it didn't 
wasn't doing enough business and there was nobody to run it so and uh, why is uh, the grocery store important well I thought I enjoyed being able to get my groceries right here in town without going now you have to go to Nash I would have to go to Nashua and I'd take Mrs. Monius with me that lived down the street you know the bonuses I, I do uh, tell us about them well there he was um, I was would say Russian but it's not it's an offshoot of Russian he he was he was a big man but uh, they were a very nice couple and they had two children I had both of them in kindergarten but uh, he took the car of course to work so I would take her to the grocery store with me and became and also we went up in the woods and got pine cones because she made those pine cone wreaths. That's yeah. Eleanor Monius? Yeah. And they're on Main Street in a little white cape yeah. on the west side just before the yeah. hill you go up to see Prague Hill on your left and yeah. Catholic Church on your left. They were they were nice people. They had a, a boy and a girl and I had both of them in kindergarten. But I can't think of their names now. They're I think the girl is a, sometimes a like missionary in a foreign country. And I don't know what he did. I just sort of lost track now where I don't drive and I don't walk very far. People have to come to me. I'm looking forward to sitting out by the roadside when the parade goes by. I always sit there when there's going to be a parade because it's handy going to be some parade. It is, because I was in on one of the meetings they were having. They wanted people who were on the parade route to meet, so I went to the meeting. Charles and I did, Charles Jr. And uh, they had requirements that they wanted people to, they wanted people to decorate out front, and we decided maybe we would put like pumpkins and squashes and things like that out by the roadside. We couldn't leave it there very long because people come along, throw them, yeah. and smash them. I don't know what the thrill is of doing that, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, t tell us about you, the history of your neighbors. If we go generally south from here, the next house is the Corey House in which. Lawrence lived. <laughs> Lawrence lived. And Virginia. <clears throat> Virginia was, was his wife. wife. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, he was obviously an active businessman in town. Mm -hmm. <coughs> At some point, was it he who had a gun shop in his house? Yep. Yep, he sold guns. And who were his kids? Uh, Lawrence Jr. and Maryland. And, oh my goodness. What was his? I can't think of the, the main daughter. It'll come to you, worry about. But anyway, he had three children. Okay, so after uh, Lawrence and Virginia stopped living there, who was the next occupant? Uh, Virginia moved out. Oh. She kept me. She kept moving a piece of furniture at a time, and eventually she just disappeared. They. Uh, and he was left behind. Yeah, that oh. that she was. I mean, uh, she wasn't very happy in her marriage. I see. So anyway, but nobody knew what she was doing. Wow! So suddenly she was gone. Yeah. Wow. But I don't think that bothered Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll keep one, keep an eye on my furniture, make sure nothing's missing. <laughs> so then, the Lawrence, when Lawrence was done with the place, who moved in? 
Um, Your son? Uh, well, no. the house went, when Lawrence died, the house went to Marilyn, uh, Charles Jr., and I can't think of the third daughter, and she's the main one. But anyway, um, Lawrence Jr. willed his part of the house to Charlie. And so did the Doris, her name was. Doris did too. He only had to pay Marilyn for her share of the house. Gotcha. And then it was his. Okay, gotcha. So it's his now, legally. How about the next house over? Who do you recall, if you do, living in that place? Oh. Or maybe nobody comes to mind. Don't worry about it. Um, who lives at the fence? Some Bent lived there. Fred Bent, I think, huh. lived there. Now, is that house now owned by Fenske? Do you know that name? Yeah, Fenske? I know the name Fenske. It may be the house that he okay. owns. I know he owns one there. Okay. Well, let's see. I've been through that house that Fenske owns. He had open house on some of. Oh. They had open house on some of the houses, and his was one of them. He had it really fixed up with antiques. And, oh, he had. He made it beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that. he has the money. Yeah. He did the same good. up on Milford Street as his father's place, too. That place looks great, doesn't it? Hmm? That place looks great. Mm. Who used to live there, I wonder? In the Fenske house? The Fenske house on Milford Street. Reeves was the name when I came here to Brookline. Huh. But she was not very nice to me. I'm sorry. How so? <laughs> Well, it had to do with the racetrack, and I was at oh. my being affiliated with the Corys. It was a. She wouldn't let me up the grocery aisle at the store. I'd have to turn around my wagon and go another way. Good Lord. That got that, you know, that was really bad, but she was that way. How about Tom Arnold? What do you remember about him? Well, he was a good leader, he was a good moderator. That's you I took his place, didn't you? I did. But. He, you know, he he did a good job with the town meeting, and he knew his law. And uh, of course, Tom Jr. became a lawyer. Yep. But uh, he did a lot of things for the for the town. Do you remember his wife at all? Oh yes, I was very friendly with Barbara because I had some of her children, the, some of the children in kindergarten. Well, and, tell uh, us the story about what the uh, Arnolds did with with kids. Oh, they took in foster children and uh, raised them like their own. They were very good to their foster children. Some people are not, but they they were very good. And then they had one handicapped child, and then she wanted to go to Keene, so she went to Keene, but she was in a plane accident and died. Oh. But she was not, she would never have been well, but they were very good to her. Even the other children. Barbara was one that could make the other children be agreeable with each other. Hmm. She just had a, she had a knack for being a mother. That was her. See, she's about she was about the same age as I am, but she died of cancer. Yeah. So yeah, they were important to the town, weren't they? they yes. Were, yeah. Yeah. Well, look at Eddie now at the garage. Yeah. People like him a lot. I well, I could. If I need something done, he comes right away and gets my car and fixes it for me. But he's very good with other people, too, about fixing their cars. He's a good mechanic. He's a bright boy. And he, um, 
uh, does things for their, his customers. That's wonderful. Wonder how the uh, garage is doing. I think it's doing pretty well. Good. It was Erwin was no businessman. He would let anybody have credit, and he thought if he gave them more credit, they'd pay him back. But they never. I I shut everything down when he got to the point where he couldn't handle anything, and I got the garage straightened out. Yeah. You don't get any credit from me if you got credit already. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm a stickler. If you owe me anything, boy, you better give it to me because I'm going to fight your tooth and nails for it. You were good. He was lucky he had you. Did You didn't ever know John Elliott in town, did you? Um, John yeah, I knew John. I knew who he was. Tell was he the one that had the big hole in his leg? I, I think so. Yeah, because it smells bad. Oh, yeah, But he used um, something like Noxema on it. He, I don't know. He put something on it. I don't know. It was, well, do you remember what he did for work? No, I don't think he was working when I came here to Brookline. He lived up in the, what the, was called the condos, but. That's where, uh, I don't know who lives there now. In town? Yeah, it's up on, uh, Meeting House Hill. Yeah, okay. Where he lived. Uh, I didn't become involved with people outside of, uh, my students' parents when I first came here to Brookline. And then your life was devoted to your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, I had the kindergarten here for 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I never intended to stay, but I wouldn't move now. Yeah. Chrissy going to stick around? I guess so. She has a, she likes her job at Hampshire Hills as a chef. She's been a wonderful treasurer for the uh, Historical Society. Well, she devotes quite a bit of time. I know now they're going to be looking for a president. I, I gather David has yeah, uh, he's gonna, had his run. It's been yeah. a long time. I guess he wants to retire, but I said to Christine, but she said she couldn't take it over because she has a regular job. She has to devote her yeah. time to the president. I mean, the secretary, uh, treasurer is about all she can handle. She does a wonderful job. And you heard we've got uh, heat the other week in the barn. Oh, no. we got a furnace. You walk in there. It's livable. It's incredible what they've done. They worked very hard. Yeah. We, we have a, a work crew that's just pl pl plugging away, plugging away, and getting it done. I know she enjoys it, the, their company, you know, that group. Yeah, good. So I think she'll stay at Treasure, but... I said to her, do you ever think you'd be the president? She said, oh, no, she, she needs to keep her regular job. Uh, she has to support herself, so. Yeah. So I don't know who they'll get. I don't know. We, we have a guy who's a vice president who really loves Brookline history. His name is Eric DiVirgilio. He's a young man, five kids, job. But he really uh, has a 
enthusiasm and a fondness for the history of the town and collecting it and preserving it. So he's he's got the right instincts. Maybe he'll do it. I just I need to go to the restroom. Okay. Now, I'll look at my notes. I'll turn off the recorder for now. Thank you. Hour and a half of your thoughts.